Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my good friend Jason Gabler from uh, Adentro. He's the VP of Sales, and uh, although uh, that's his focus, we're going to be talking about so many things today that are not sales-related, uh, so stay tuned, and I hope you love the episode. Jason, say hello. Give a little bit of backstory. Hello, Joseph. Hello, Forktails audience. It's uh, really great to be here, and I'm grateful for the time today. I've been with Adentro for about five years I was initially hired as an individual contributor on the sales side, and over that time, we've evolved a lot as a company, um, focusing on first-party data, helping our clients and partners leverage that data to drive success for their business. And, uh, and prior to that, I had a background in recruiting and management consulting, so overall, primarily in the tech space, and, uh, and over the last five years, specifically with a focus on the restaurant industry and hospitality. Excellent. Yeah, there's. I think data and technology are... I mean, the biggest buzzwords in the restaurant industry, finally, I feel like it was something that we sort of talked about for a little while. And then the pandemic just is like stopped everyone in their tracks and like, okay, now's the time. Um, but it's, it's safe to say that like we as humans, just all of us, we are living in a mobile first society. We're connected all of the time, much to the chagrin of, uh, my wife and me at times. Um, I, I got to take the time to actually put my phone away and be present. Um, that's how connected we are. Um, how has this affected the, the restaurant industry positive or negatively in, in your opinion? I think that the positives and negatives are kind of tied together. Um, I think it pushed a lot of people out of their comfort zone that have been doing the same thing the same way for a long time. And, uh, you know, and I, I think for a while technology was something that the industry half leaned into, but shied away from because the metrics around it are very fuzzy, right? If you're using digital and you're an online business and you're measuring everything from, you know, what someone's searching to what they're clicking to what they're purchasing and what drove all of that behavior. Measuring that for a physical business is really difficult, right? But then the pandemic, to your point, really kicked it into hyperdrive with not really giving people a choice. It was either, you know, figure out new ways to adapt or just hope for the best, right? And for most of the places that just hope for the best and didn't really change or evolve, a lot of them are, are not around anymore. You know, I think the last stat that I saw was, uh, was you know, over 50% of businesses that were around on the restaurant side pre-pandemic either closed or totally evolved their business model. So, you know, I think it's been something that pushed people to transformation, but I think it also has helped move that forward in a way that it hadn't before. Yeah. And and there's so much that is happening that technology is driving. Um, Yesterday, I got to go eat at a restaurant that actually has the robot server. Um, I haven't seen one of those and, yet. <laughs> so I've I seen saw them at the trade, trade shows. shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this one is active. Um, but some funny things, and I, I know we didn't intend to talk about this, but it's it's current event for me. Um, one, the robot was accompanied by a person. Mm-hmm. 
two, we actually had to ask for the robot because they had it shut off because their words, it's just not very efficient. Um, and so I, I think what we're seeing is um, some technologies, these experimental technologies are either not quite there, they haven't quite solved the problem, mm-hmm. or um, they're, they're actually not solving the problem and never will. Um, it, it was pretty interesting because there was theater involved, but mm-hmm. it was obvious that if a person's going to accompany it, why didn't, why didn't you just bring my food? Yeah. You know, why is it on this like rolling tray with a, uh, cat face on it? Um, it's very interesting, but uh, you know, during the pandemic, we saw QR codes revive into something that's used again, revive and um, then some, yeah. And then some, yeah. But now we're seeing a little bit of a backlash where people want to hold the menu again and stuff. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think that's, that's remained consistent is because we're mobile first, people, want to connect to a Wi-Fi, what has been some of the barriers to restaurants acknowledging that and offering easy connection? Like, dude, I don't know how many times I have to ask what the Wi-Fi password is. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, why do we have to ask this? Like, well, and then on the flip side of it, you know, I'd, I'd say the majority of businesses just give it away, you know, and don't get anything in return. And, you know, and that's it right? It's something that they're paying for at every location, but most people don't think of it as an asset. They just see it as another expense. And uh, something that we talk a a lot about here, both internally at Adentro, as well as with our partners, is the concept of digital hospitality, right? It's to your Mm -hmm. point, it's expected now that everybody has that kind of ease of navigating the digital environment for a brand just as much as the physical environment. And Wi-Fi is a really seamless way of connecting those two together, quite literally, Right. And in addition to that, not everybody uses Wi-Fi, but that's okay. It's not for everybody. Right. It's just something Mm -hmm. that is an amenity for your guests. And when you're able to make it custom for your business, right, by making it either promote specials that you have or events you have coming up or even just thanking people for visiting, uh, customers actually have that resonate. And uh, we have a lot of data that also shows that when it comes to tying that, you know, to marketing and better understanding, you know, hey, when someone visits and then they get an email from us, do they actually come back in, right? And and what actually got them back in out of what we were sending them? And if you're promoting on, you know, social media, right? Like there's all this data of people that you're branding to, right? You're actually delivering your digital experience to. But in the restaurant industry, there's this huge gap that exists where all you can measure is online. If people are clicking and landing on your site or ordering online, but if your main goal is to get feet through the doors and butts in seats, then that's something that's always been missed. And, you know, again, tying it back to Wi-Fi, it's something that uh, we at Adentro specialize in, which we'll, I'm sure we'll touch upon a little bit later. But, uh, but basically, it's, it's really kind of like a, a Trojan horse, right? Like it's already in the location everywhere. It's just a matter of unlocking it and using it to get more actionable data and also enhance the guest experience with digital hospitality. Yeah, and I think data is the operative uh, op- operative word in that too, because with with the adoption and the obsession of like mobile, and and you just mentioned it, there comes data, or at least should, if you have set up the right system, <clears throat> Adentro. <clears throat> um, <laughs> there are others out there, of course, but with that comes a lot of data. And I think we hear marketing leaders who love to talk about the data, but actually parsing it and using it is a totally different story. How have you at Adentro approached distilling that data? And I think most importantly, making it actionable to see results. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the there's really two pillars that we focus on. There's first party data capture, right, which is helping 
you as the business owner operator understand who's actually visiting your locations, right? What's their actual identity? And that's by a user opting in, right? Not by just measuring if they follow you on Facebook, but them actually giving you their contact when they connect with you. And then the other side of that is augmenting that contact with customer visit data. And a comparison that I love to make, especially, you know, with people like yourself, where you're very savvy on the digital side, right? Especially, you know, when it comes to just your experience on the agency side of things, I think that Wi-Fi has essentially transformed into like a website experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you land on a website, let's say target.com and you land on their site, you navigate through a few pages, their pixel catches you, right? Target's able to see, did a unique first time visitor land on my site? Is this a repeat visitor on my website? And from there, they can retarget advertising to me, or they can use that data to build better lookalike audiences because they know I visited their site. So people like me would likely be low hanging fruit as well if they have similar profiles to myself. Now, in all of that process, Target still doesn't have my identity, but that's actionable data of a website visit. So with Wi-Fi, we're able to do the same thing because every 30 seconds, Wi-Fi is passively detecting devices. So even if people aren't necessarily connecting and giving you their contact, that detection is still happening. And mm -hmm. what we do is make that actionable with third-party programmatic advertising channels like paid social or display or CTV. And then to close that loop with the first party data, going back to that target example, if you're on target.com and then you actually enter your email and you sign up for the newsletter, they get your direct contact. They can do one-to-one -one marketing with you with that first party data. And then they're able to measure that success as well. So same kind of thing applies to that website experience with the Wi-Fi experience, where if people connect to the Wi-Fi and they give you that email, then you do get their identity and you can do that one-to-one -one and then make that data actionable. So at a high level, that's really that holistic system of the type of actionable data that, that we're talking about, but now at the physical level of customer visit behavior instead of online visit behavior. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. And, and obviously the Wi-Fi is just one area where we're getting that kind of data. Um, I think it suffice to say you can easily get drunk on the data if you're not careful and, uh, you know, lose, lose touch of the bigger picture at times. Um, one of the things in the Adentro system that, that I also want to unpack is one of the core things is the email marketing and y'all call smart emails. Some may call it automated or automation, um, or triggered emails. Um, how effective are they? Because I think a lot of people see email as sort of this old hat marketing thing. Um, is is email marketing dead or does it just need to be rethought? I think it needs to be rethought. I certainly don't think it's dead because I, I believe that now more than ever people are leaning into it because first party data is, is really more of a priority now than ever. When it comes to smart emails, what what we refer to as smart emails are really visit triggered emails. Right. So because we're augmenting a first party contact of an email in your database with their visit behavior, for example, did that person come in once and not come back? Were they detected for two or three more visits? Did they come in 10 times? Have they not returned for a month? All of those visit behaviors are passively detected once that first connection is made. And so from there, you're able to actually set up visit triggered emails. So if someone connects with you that first time, hey, thanks for visiting. We'd love to see you again soon. Here are happy hour specials and events we have coming up over the next month if you want to come back in. Mm -hmm. Now, 
generally on the open rate side of email marketing, like let's say you're sending out an email blast to everyone in your database. If you could hit close to a 20% open rate, that's considered success, right? If at least one in five people actually open that and read it. 20% is considered very good. I mean, yeah, it's actually considered very good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now with these visit triggered smart emails, right. Where we're actually sending it out based on if it's, it's someone's first time connecting with you, or if they come back for a second visit, they don't need to use the Wi-Fi again because that device is paired with the contact that they connected with. And so once they leave after that second visit, cheers, you're becoming one of our best guests. If you hit five visits, we're going to give you the next round on the house. Right. And as you know, too, like those customers that you're re-engaging with, that's your pipeline for new customers too, right? Like food and beverage is one of those industries where if you get someone to walk through your doors, how often is it that it's just one person on their own? Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's usually them also sharing that through word of mouth, through getting people back in with them. And, uh, and the main success that we see with those smart emails by triggering based on visit behavior instead of just a one size fits all kind of a blast, generally on average, those get 50 to 60% higher open rates than a general newsletter. So what we tend to see is for those smart emails between a 30 to 45% open rate. Now, the key metric though, just to bring it all together is again, did they walk back through now, historically in the industry, all you can do is measure if you put out an offer, right. Or if you're promoting a special, how did our special move this week? Right. Or, mm-hmm. or how many people actually redeem that offer? And if you get a 1% redemption rate on offers, generally that's considered a success because of how many you send out. Right. But right. again, like people like me, I might get an offer. I generally don't really read through my email and certainly don't generally remember to bring it up when I go into a restaurant, but it's about staying top of mind with people. And with these emails, you can still measure offer redemptions and you know how it correlates with specials moving and things like that. But what our system does is we use that detection through Wi-Fi to then tie it back to email campaigns. So if that person got an email and then physically walked back in for another visit within seven days, we measure that as a walkthrough. Now they might've come back in two weeks later or three weeks later, but for us to help you measure, did that email actually influence getting that person back through the doors for an incremental visit within a short mm-hmm. time frame? that seven day window is key. And, uh, and generally those are the kind of benchmarks that we talk about with our partners and clients. So the, the open rate is great. Certainly don't want to diminish the importance of that, but what is greater is the actual outcome right? Like the reason why you're sending out those emails and measuring opens is with the hopes that those people are coming back in through your doors. Yeah, absolutely. When I think most, (laughs) you actually said the dirty word uh, a second ago, blast. So I I am (laughs) in an outright war of a lifetime. And I use that word on purpose to just take away all the violent words in marketing and outside of target market, my, my second boogeyman is the word blast. Cause I think it's the wrong mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, when people say blast email or e-blast or email blast, um, to me, I just cringe because nobody wants to get blasted by a brand. Yeah. No one's walking around saying, gosh, you know, things are boring. I really wish I could get blasted right now and not drunk, yeah. but like blasted by a, by a brand. Um, and so I think that mentality though, then manifests the wrong thinking in marketing, which is hammering through deals, hammering through 
eat my food, eat my food. It's the best. It's the best. As opposed to creating conversations um, and delivering value. Now, of course, a discount is a value in some form, but so is information. So is inspiration, um, which needs to align with the brand. So in your, in, in your experience, how can brands be more effective in that way? And, and have you seen brands that go beyond that blast mentality? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, that's a great way of putting it. Take the violent words out of marketing. I've, I've never heard that before, but you're, you're very right. I mean, and I feel, I feel like it, it should be thought of as a campaign, right? Like you're ultimately you're, you're making an another violent word. Yeah. Campaign. <laughs> I yeah, actually, yeah, based I guess, on war campaigns. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm, okay, I'm trying so to get initiative or effort. initiative promotion is promotion violent. Promotion could be one uh, okay. effort, just an, yeah, an, effort. an, a general yeah, effort. Yeah. yeah. But, but on that note, I mean, that's, that just goes back to why it's so critical to engage with customers in a hospitable way, right? Where digital hospitality means that every guest experience is measured and everybody gets a personalized engagement based on their experience with your brand and with your physical location. And an example that I love to use with the, uh, the B word with, with the email blast, but we'll use uh, the email effort is uh, a client that I have down in Pensacola. Uh, and they actually have a large amount of tourist traffic, but they're one of the most popular, well-known, uh, like kind of home base locations within that community. So even though people come from all over the country and actually all over the world and, uh, and I'll, I'll name drop them and give them a shout out. It's Florabama. So if, if you guys know mm-hmm. the famous Kenny Chesney song, Florabama is, is definitely a great one. And, uh, and they, they're so well known globally, honestly, as a, as a top entertainment venue and concert venue, it's right on the beach on the border of Florida and Alabama. And, uh, and one of their goals was their trip advisor rating wasn't that great. Right. And they didn't have that many people actually sharing reviews on there. But when people travel from out of state, that's the main thing that they look at for what to do when they're in the area. And so what they did was because they have such a strong local following of regulars that just live out there and hang out by the beach and go there for a drink and hang out by the yacht club and all of that. They did an email campaign promotion in email uh, communication with their customers, but only sending it to people who had visited their location at least five times in the past year. And they sent this email campaign promotion out to, sorry, I'm going to need to yeah. They sent this email. How about, how about we do this? Just call it, call it email marketing message. Just, yeah. They, they sent their email marketing message out to a group of over a thousand people who had visited over five times over the course of the year. And within a, and basically the ask was, Hey, we see that you've come in and you've loved it here so much. We'd love for you to share your experience by leaving us a great review on TripAdvisor. If you do, you'll get entered in a raffle to win free concert tickets. Mm, right? I love it. And yeah. And just like a thank you kind of thing, but like, Hey, we'd love for you to share the love because obviously this is the kind of place we want to keep getting people to experience because it's such a unique, amazing venue. And, uh, and so they sent that out to over a thousand people and within a week, they had over 65 star reviews published from that one, cam- from that one email marketing campaign. So That's great. still couldn't break it. Well, and, and what I love about that too, is, um, it does tap into something restaurant leaders, marketing leaders for restaurant brands of all sizes. They can give very myopic on the only value they have to offer is by devaluing their own product. Now, discounts, coupons, they have a place. I don't hate them. Um, but that, right there is thinking outside of that norm, 
being not myopic and thinking, what do my people really want? Sure, they're coming here for the food. Sure, they're coming here for the drink. And that's amazing. But they also want the entertainment that is ancillary to our brand. It's, it's symbiotic, I should say. Why not offer them that? You know, and that's that's a really low cost way of doing something very high value to people. And actually, I saw that in play here in a brand that's now defunct called Yeah Burger in Georgia. Now, they got a lot of traction. I'm not sure why it inevitably went out of business, but they did get up to, like, I think three or four locations. And one of their things was they would offer concert tickets, you know, as a part of like their email marketing program. Um, and it was highly effective. I mean, it got my attention every time, even if it wasn't an artist I wanted to see. Yeah. Now, where that fell flat was they really didn't do much else with mm-hmm. music for it to make a lot of sense. And I think when in this particular place that you brought up, it makes a ton of sense to have it yeah. be um, a part of who they are. And I think that comes into like the holistic brand strategy and what does this brand really stand for? Mm-hmm. Um which is yeah, great, the, great. And sorry for putting you back on your heels with the with the with the. No, you're good. You, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, way back in the day, in my past life, when I was <laughs> when I was still going to college, I actually took acting classes, and it was highlighted to me then the power of the word um and like, mm-hmm. and how it's such a filler in between words. And I, I definitely still do it every now and then. But once I'm made aware of it, it's hard for me to not like catch it every time I do it. So. Uh, I'm going to get better over time, but you're going to need to bear with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll have to help me, uh, in my mission to, you know, uh, completely, I, I want to say degauze, but that's not the right word. Just, I want to just take it out of our vernacular because it actually, it just, from the very minute you start using those words, the perception of marketing communications and advertising endeavors, it's it's wrong. Well, it's, and it's I like shotgunning think, it. You're just shotgunning it out there. It's not yeah. strategic. You're not you're not thinking in a personalized kind of way, right? And and also again, it goes back to like that new age concept of digital hospitality, where like everybody right. wants to feel like they have a personal connection with your brand because they do. So if you're That's if right. you're sending out a blast where it's the same message to everybody and you send it out twice a month, then you might as well just be mailing out flyers, right? I mean, it's basically right. doing the same thing where. People might open it, but you know, you're not going to see many people act on it. Yeah. And you know, with flyers, it's a 1.5% return is considered generally successful. Um, but I, I, I love what you said about the, the digital hospitality because that actually paints the, the right picture. And so the reason why I just like this violence in, in our vernacular is because I like to think of all communications, marketing, advertising, branding, all of it as a real life scenario. And if you spoke to another human the way brands tend to speak to their market, to their patrons, you would have zero friends. Nobody would want to hang out with you. I mean, could you imagine you like you come up to me like, hi, my name's Jason. I'm like, you should buy my product. <laughs> it's the best product. All products that you've had before mine are not nearly as good. You're gonna be like, Great, so I'm gonna head over here and not talk to you anymore. Yet that is what's done more than I would care to admit. But I think when you start to think of your brand and your communications as a human interacting with other humans, you get what you just said, which is that, that digital hospital or just hospitality in general. Well, and some, some of the best brands that I've had, had the fortune of working with, I think what sets them apart is they start with culture right? It's really like, what's the culture of the people that come in and experience our brand? And how do we continue to evolve our brand around that? 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and then shaping that because then people become part of that culture and it's it's contagious. And again, like once you can have that resonate with people that come through your doors, that's your pipeline for new customers. I mean, obviously there are lots of different ways to to try to acquire new guests, but at the end of the day, like your your existing guests, those are the ones that are the advocates for new ones, right? So by that's right. making that experience as as engaging and personalized for them as possible is, is critical because it's not just going to get them back in. It's going to continue to feed that. Yeah. And the byproduct of, of when that's done right is increase in check averages and traffic and all of that. Oh yeah. And, and I feel it, when I, people can be almost, um, crippled with curiosity, intrigue, and jealousy when they see a brand who just seems to be winning, yeah. And they can't crack the code. And it's like, oh, it's because they're marketing better or this. Usually it's just because they're being human. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not afraid to admit when there's a mistake. They're not afraid to say, I'm sorry. But they're also not afraid to stand up for themselves and say, no, actually, you're incorrect. Um, or your perceptions of this are, are very different than what actually happened. And we've seen that on some Yelp reviews and everything. Um, so diving into a Dentro. It would be great just to, I think, for listeners to have more of a holistic, like, this is what we do. You kind of gotten some tidbits here, but let's hear the elevator pitch. And the only reason I'm doing this is because I have been very impressed with the system. I've seen successes. I've seen the way clients perceive the system as well. And so I'm pretty hyped up about it. And I want some of these folks to hear it too. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, and basically, to give a little bit of background, about 10 years ago, Adentro pioneered Wi-Fi marketing technology. So nowadays it's pretty common, right? If you go into any Starbucks or hotel or airport, most businesses nowadays enable free Wi-Fi. They have that custom portal and most F&B brands are now catching up. Believe it or not, most still don't do anything to have that guest experience, but basically that's what we pioneered. So when a guest goes onto Wi-Fi, instead of just landing on a generic password page and them having to, you know, enter, enter the password, find your network. It comes up automatically. It has your brand image and logo on there. Instead of a password, it asks them to connect with their email. They only have to do it that first time. And from that point forward, they can go online. Every time they come back, it's as easy as going on their home Wi-Fi network. And for you, the, the critical piece of it on the business side is the data under the surface. Because again, every every 30 seconds, Wi-Fi is detecting devices. Just like if you go into your smartphone settings, it detects the Wi-Fi networks. And so what we're doing is unlocking that data and tying it to identities of people who convert through your doors. And because Adentro has been around for so long now, we've built a network of over 60 million users across the U.S. of people who just organically, by going into restaurants, bars, cafes, hotels, have just opted into sharing their contact through Wi-Fi. And the most exciting thing about this is, again, the data under the surface and the way it's continuing to transform not just how businesses can leverage Wi-Fi, but also how consumers experience Wi-Fi. Uh, for example, you know, to now bridge it to the future of all of this, uh, Adentro is actually partnered with what's called the Wireless Broadband Alliance. And our role in this is enabling what's called open roaming across the U.S. And the major carriers, for example, like a T-Mobile or an AT&T, what they want is an easy way for consumers who have smartphones, which is 99% of people nowadays, or at least it feels like it, uh, those people need to be able to seamlessly get off of 5G onto Wi-Fi, right? Because that's going to help 5G continue to be really efficient. So that's a key initiative for them. 
On that same note, Apple and Samsung and Google and these manufacturers of these devices, they want to make sure that users have a more secure Wi-Fi connection as they're roaming from location to location. So that way their data is protected. And so it's important to them to build a secure Wi-Fi profile for users. And actually, all Google and Samsung devices now have these preloaded on. Apple, within the next year or two, is poised to do this as well. And basically what that means is within the next few years, when a user goes into any location that has this Wi-Fi set up, ultimately, people aren't going to need to search for Wi-Fi. It's just going to welcome them in with a pop-up. So again, that digital hospitality, you know, thanks for visiting Joseph's Pizzeria. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I just got the sense he would open a pizzeria one day. <laughs> but I think because I love uh, pizza, <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, actually, I, I want to learn about that though, because I know you've shared some ideas with me. I want to get into what your restaurant would be that you would open, because I've got that's my retirement plan one day. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. But uh, yeah, some retirement plan. But anyway, yeah, I was going to so, say yeah, retirement's meant for relaxing. What are you talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I, I guess like being on the other side of it, working with so many people in the restaurant industry, it, it seems like a really fulfilling thing. But uh, but then at the same time, I, I, I've heard enough stories to know that it's definitely not going to be a retirement plan. But uh, anyway, I, I know that was a bit of a tangent, but Bringing it back to Adentro, that's that's our focus is unlocking data that is meaningful for you as the as an agency, as a business operator, as a technology managed service provider, and also making Wi-Fi experiences more seamless for consumers and being able to, to kind of bridge that gap between physical and digital. I love it. What kind of successes have you seen with the system? Any, any that you're allowed to call out and share? Yeah, for sure. I think I think some of the successes are in the same area that we touched upon to start. For example, you know, with doing email marketing efforts, <laughs> something that is really critical with that example that I alluded to with Floribama is they used mm-hmm. visit behavior to target that. So even mm-hmm. though it wasn't visit triggered where it was automated like a smart email, it was still leveraging the fact that they know that these people visited at least five times in the last year. In addition to that, data that we specialize in unlocking is through passive detection through your Wi-Fi networks. For example, we program Wi-Fi for most of our F&B clients to automatically segment people who visit during lunch hours versus happy hour, right? So if if I visit, say, between 3 and 6 p.m. on a weekday, I don't need to connect to the Wi-Fi during that time to be segmented into that happy hour audience, Right. And if I came in during Mother's Day weekend or Father's Day weekend, right, if, if you have a program to segment out to understand everyone that visited that weekend, it will do exactly that. And what that enables is being able to, again, strategically market for a specific goal, but based on a relevant audience of who actually came in during those times. So an example that I, I love to use is actually a, a local one out here in Arizona, near where I am with Four Peaks. Uh, they're a brewing company. They're actually part of the Anheuser-Busch family, who's a client of ours. And uh, and basically, with Four Peaks, they had the goal of increasing their happy hour traffic during the summertime because a, a big driver of their location is all of the students at the university here. And mm-hmm. during the summer, I don't know if you've been to Arizona in the summer, but it's not really a time of year that people choose to stay here if they don't have to. So, I like the heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it too. Once it crosses 115, I think that, I think that's my, I think that's where, where my bar is, but uh, to keep in shape. <laughs> yeah. But they have all this data of people who had visited during happy hour. And so what they did was a couple of different things. They firstly re-engaged people who were 
in that happy hour audience to try to get them back in. The bigger thing they did was leverage that data with their paid social advertising on Facebook and Instagram. And so instead of just running a happy hour ad to try to get more people in for happy hour, we actually help them use all of the data of the types of people who have actually visited most frequently during happy hour over the last six months. And also looking back at last summer's data. And then we use that to build more sophisticated lookalike audiences of people who have similar behaviors to those. In addition to that, another thing that a denture is able to do is use our network of visit behavior. As I mentioned, we have a network of over 60 million people. And here in Arizona, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I, I want to say it's around 2 million or so, right? So figure about one in four American adults are within our mm -hmm. network. Now, what that means is what we're able to do is use the geofencing component of Facebook and Instagram targeting and combine that with our real world visit data that's detected through these Wi-Fi networks, through that broadband alliance that I talked about. And so what we're able to do is not just target based on lookalike data of who their own happy hour guests are, but also mm -hmm. target based on who's visiting other bars and restaurants within a 10 mile radius, but have not visited Four Peaks. And so what we're doing is actually layering in a component of not just targeting better lookalike audiences based on their own data, but also targeting based on who's actively going out still during the summer season. And what we saw was over a two month period, that their happy hour sales went up double digits as a percentage month over month That's for amazing. two straight months. Yeah. And there, there are other examples like that. Um, you know, I'd say that the biggest one though, again, is, is how we start with the simple mindset of capturing the data then mm -hmm. making it actionable, right? Because a lot of places capture data. And I think that's really the paradox of the age we live in is it's a golden age and a rich, everybody has wealth of data, but mm -hmm. it's so hard to connect it all in a streamlined and simple way and to make it actionable, right. right? So this is one of those things where what we help do is automate that, integrate walkthrough data with digital initiatives, and then on the backside of it, be able to actually match the return with the effort so that way they could see how many happy hour customers actually saw these ads and then physically walk through our doors so they can see for every dollar they put in they generated about four dollars in return yeah i love that man it, it, it's constantly impressive what's able to be done uh, especially with uh, adentro systems that are ancillary symbiotic to it um it's it's a brave new world and, and every day is it's just amazing to see this stuff happen um so i think the most important question out of all of this is if you had one final meal where would you eat what would you eat and why yeah this is a great question i actually uh i was doing a lot of thinking about this this morning and i feel like i don't think about this enough right maybe none of us do but uh I'm going to go with, I, I got to give like two answers because, okay, my first answer is I would, I'm, I'm a Jewish boy from Queens. So just a little background on me. So if I truly had a last meal, I think it would be with my family. We would do Chinese takeout from our favorite place. It's called King Walk. Shout out to King Walk. Most people wouldn't know it unless, unless they're in that <laughs> area in Queens. But, uh, but that would be it. I mean, it's one of those things where Again, it's around an experience and a culture that was such a, a, a cultural thing for me. Like, you know, every couple of weeks or even once a week, we would do that as a family. And I got I would get the same dish every time for years. You know, like one of those was places it? where it was <laughs> roast pork with shrimp and broccoli and brown rice. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I know. My, yeah. Not many people would choose that as their last meal, but uh, but it's it, it's got a place in my heart. 
And, uh, and the, the other one I'll augment that with is, uh, my wife is Colombian. I, I got married last year. And, uh, and since then, not even since we were married, honestly, since, since she started cooking for me, uh, Colombian food's my favorite food now. And I got yeah. to uh, actually travel there and spend time with, with all of her family for the first time just a few months ago and had like the authentic Colombian food. And, and I honestly, it's, it's hard for me to just say Chinese food now, which, you know, yeah. I'm sure you could imagine as a Jewish kid from Queens <laughs> to, to have something compete with Chinese food. <laughs> but, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. But hey, Colombian food's delicious, man. I I, I feel you. There's not enough <laughs> of great. it out here either. I, I live in Arizona. Mm-hmm. There's like one Colombian place, and it's good. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, maybe that, Puerto maybe Rican that's food. The next space. Yeah, yeah. People people usually go to the Cuban Cuban food because, of course, the Medina Noche sandwiches and things like that. But uh, you know, I love I love Puerto Rican food, and I could feast on it for hours. Um, nice. It's Is there a favorite well, restaurant you have? No, or, no, yeah. I, I just there's none to find really here in Atlanta. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a Puerto Rican restaurant in particular in New York. Yeah, there were there was yeah. some up on uh, Upper West Side for a little while that I really liked. Um, I don't know nice. if they're there any longer, but best place to get it is in Puerto Rico. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's so that's where we're doing our next podcast, back. right? That's <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, hey man, this has been great. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. Uh, where can people connect with you and Adentro? Yeah, thanks for asking, and, and thank you for the time too. It's always great chatting with you, and uh, and it was great to chat through some stories together. Uh, so as far as for myself, my name is Jason Gabler again, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, similarly with Adentro, if you go to adentro.com, uh, we have a one-minute video that does a great job of, of pretty concisely summarizing all the different things that you can do with us. And uh, and if it seems interesting, reach out. But either way, thanks so much for listening. And again, Joseph, very grateful for your time and uh, also just for the experience of getting to be on Folktales. So thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. Until next time. If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Forktales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.